If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Evening, guys, and welcome to Wolves Fancast Live on YouTube and Twitter um, in partnership with 90 Minute Football. Um, our sponsors, uh, Pixel Yeti Media and Kings Winford Sports Shop, as well. Proud to bring you this um, live um, discussion regarding some of the, the workings at, at Wolves at the moment. We've uh, obviously all been um, watching with uh, bated breath the Ask Wolves series. Um, I don't know if um, you guys contributed any questions, but um, the, the club have been very candid in in responding to them. And uh, the senior leadership team have been uh, asked those questions by Johnny Phillips in a four-part series. And we just wanted to basically discuss the fallout from all of the um, the takes from Jeff Shee, Scott Sellers, uh, Russell Jones, Vinnie Clark and... Um, and, uh, and the leadership team there. So I've got Stu and little Dan with me um, to, to really take us through all the goings on. And um, to start with, guys, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you felt, but just having the opportunity to... Uh, did, you, did you guys ask any questions? It, it was really refreshing to actually get this from the club. So I don't know if you took that chance to, to fire something in. I don't. I don't expect them to answer anything. I, I, like you said, a, a candid opportunity, and it kind of was. Uh, there were. It kind of does make you think. What did they leave out? Because everything was kind of thrown out there. Pretty much what people have been talking about. So no, I, I generally didn't think that they'd answer anything like they did. So I didn't bother. Yeah, I think it was. Um... Johnny Phillips. Johnny Phillips did a cracking job chairing this series. Um, I'll take my hat off. I mean, I'll take, I'm wearing an hat, but I'll take it off to him. He's done a great job. 633 questions was received in this series from the fans. And I don't know how many were like, bring the liquidator back. <laughs> Can we have new hamburgers next season? There were some good questions. If you actually take your time to read all that series, I didn't take, um, I didn't make the time to ask a question because I thought, um, it would be sort of a um, strategically answered series, but you, you can't knock walls. Not, not every answer was welcomed um, or accepted, but they didn't even have to come out and have this series, but they did it. They fronted up and we, we'll, we'll go, we'll go into, into a bit more depth now. Yeah, totally fair. I mean, like, like I say, I, I had more faith in Wolves fans asking about whether they were changing the flavour of the pies uh, next season than, um, than getting really into the, the heart of, of, of what's going on at the club. But, Fair play to everyone who, who did kind of delve into some serious stuff. And um, like I said, we had the technical director, Scott Sellers, um, 
football operations general manager Matt Field, uh, marketing and commercial growth general manager Russell Jones, and commercial operations general manager Vinnie Clark, alongside Jeff Shee and Johnny Phillips, asking the questions. Now, the first video, um, which was probably the one thing, given that Nuno had, I think, just been uh, relieved of his duties um, just before the first video came out, was probably top of the topic list was transfers, policy, what's going on in the summer now. They're obviously speaking from the perspective that Nuno was still at the club, um, which is probably important to note in that, in that regard. But what did you make of some of their comments? I think they were very keen to point out the... FFP um, was very much um, part of their agenda and not breaking FFP as well. You know, there was a question about whether we'd be happy just paying a fine um, and, and just getting on with it if we did um, go out and spend a little bit of money. But and um, I, I don't know what, what you made of, of their kind of reticence to to totally go all organs blazing on, on, on you know, making promises on that. Go on, Dan, you go first because you know what I want to do. <laughs> Yeah, I need to let you go first, Jay, because it's, it's it's strategically been well placed that it's going to be me against you tonight having this main discussion, but there's so much for them to answer. Yeah, go first, Jay. I think if this had been like 10 years ago and now we didn't have things like the price of football that just completely obliterates all the kind of hogwash behind club accounts, then... You could see this and you think, oh, okay, we're, we're being sensibly run. And obviously we are anyway. Um, but then you look back to the championship and where we were very, like, within half a million on the on the line of going too far. And if we hadn't got promoted, we would have had to sell. But so where's that gone? That kind of mentality where we'll push it to the absolute limit has just now gone where we're just playing safe. When you look at the money that, and what they were talking about, figures-wise, didn't really make sense compared to what they released a couple of months ago. <laughs> so he was saying about the um, same with £44 million worth of debt, which is not debt, it's just deferred money from the Premier League, which everyone gets back this summer anyway. And we, they even said in their statement that we'd, we'd made a £17 million profit if it wasn't for that. So it kind of doesn't make sense that they're trying to play, they're trying to play one thing off, off against one kind of ideal. And then at the same time saying, yeah, Sell to, buy, sell to buy, which when you look at the money that we've bought in and we do it, like Dan's mentioned many times, we only, we're only the 15th highest in the league in terms of wages. Where's all the rest of the money gone? That, I mean, we haven't made, an, was it 2 million net we spent last summer? And the year before that wasn't much either. So where does, where's all the Premier League TV money gone? It doesn't just go on wages because we are, we're 15th. So something's something's a bit weird. Yeah, I mean, I think we've never been a reckless bunch under under Fosin anyway, have we really? Um, we have taken advantage of uh, some of our connections in the footballing world with regards to some of the prices that has stung us on occasion. That's probably been, you know, a, a bit of a helping hand on some as well. But they, they made the point that, you know, lost revenue without ticket sales, without um, all the stuff that goes on as well. And they have to really think about that. And I mean, Dan, how, how much credence do you pay to that? Because like, like we've heard from, from just um, the last few weeks, the, the local media reporting, it's about sell to buy. Um, you know, if we do need to do want to um, bring players in, you know, someone's going to have to be cut loose. Um, so 
where do you where do you sit in that in that camp? It's it's concerning and disheartening, isn't it, to hear stuff like we have to sell to buy when we've had this is our third third year in the Premier League in in a decent league position finish. So it's disappointing, but I'm hoping it's just strategic PR from the club, so we're not held to ransom like we were previously, having to overspend on players that probably weren't worth the value that, at the time. Yeah, I, well, I hope, I hope, fingers crossed, that that's exactly what they're doing. That they're, they're not saying, "Oh, yeah, we've got a, a three hundred million pound war chest, so we're going to spunk it up the wall like we have done in the past." But there's something that, like, we'll go into with the rest of these videos that makes me think that that's not the case. Yeah, no, no, that's that, that's fair. I think, and you know, we wouldn't be living in the area we're living in if we took everything on face value, would we? So, um, you know, misinformation is a real thing, but. Fair play to the club if they're taking that stance. Um, it, the other thing I, I took from the, the transfer policy discussion, and this was a, a sentence from Se uh, Scott Sellers, the technical director himself, you know, always try to invest in players with the future. Um, now, there was a lot of talk about, well, in hindsight, probably, I'd say, about last summer's um, business, uh, a lot of younger players being brought in and trying to justify... You know, the league placing based on, you know, we have got a little bit, you know, of experience to be gained in our squad at the moment because we brought in these youngsters. We didn't necessarily replace like for like uh, with the likes of Diogo Jota and, and Matt Doherty. But um, it seems that that's the club's philosophy going forward, you know, bottom line. Um, so do you think we need to be concerned by that? Do you, Can you see us actually progressing with that kind of mentality? Well, they've always kind of talked about I've been a club of disruption and and kind of challenging the norms and all that kind of which they're brought up in these as well, and it's almost like the Dortmund model, just in in a kind of slightly different kind of level of footballer. So if you you get them in early, make make a profit on them, reinvest, is fine, but then there's it comes to a point where you turn into Southampton. I mean, having this basis where we're relying on young players to hit the ground running is a risky business. I know that there was that old saying that you don't you don't win anything with kids. Man United still had top class, experienced players all throughout their squad: Schmeichel, Bruce, Cantona, Mark Hughes. We ain't got that sort of caliber of player at Wolves. We've got some young, talented players: Fabio Silva, Will. I'm convinced we'll still go on to be a top player. Whether we get £35 million back from him is another story, but I still think he's got goals at Premier League level. Yeah, and I mean, he, he, he might be worth £35 million in four or five years' time, and which, if that's the case, then we got a talent that we wouldn't have been able to afford further down the line, which is the gamble. But we've then paid money for him four years in advance, and he hasn't progressed. So, I mean, that was all about Brexit anyway. We all know that that's the only reason they got him in when they did, because he wouldn't, him, same as Neto, they wouldn't have been able to sign him, like they mentioned as well, that that's kind of changed transfer policy as well, where we can't now go fishing for youngsters from Europe because they're not going to get work permits. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't think about it earlier when, when I thought about this, and this this idea i mean it feels like there's actually genuine succession planning involved in this you have the likes of 
And if you look at it position by position, probably the only place I would suggest we're, we're lacking is centre-half and in goal. But our full-back position, Semedo, um, is really backed up by Herva now. You know, and it would have been the case if it was Doherty. You know, you've got that young option there. And on the opposite side, in theory, Johnny, obviously, would be the, the first-team candidate there that is the mainstay with, hopefully, Ryan Nuri if he signs permanently as the backup option. That just feels to me like a, a nice, you know, way of looking at the squad. You know, players are going to move on eventually. And I think they alluded to the fact that you need to freshen things up a little bit, whether that be moving players on, the likes of Diogo Jota, who've been with the club for three, four years, and and replacing them. And, and there's no point bringing in someone who's ready-made, ready to go, if they're not then going to play either, is there? No. I mean, but, well, taking it in, in the, on the new nose watch, you don't want players just sitting on the bench, especially new signings, when we've all seen the, hey, that works in football manager. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, it's... It's a kind of it's a juggling act though. You can't keep having just kids to replace players who who may say is in the first team because you end up having what happened this season. And Scott Sellers had like sort of a few comments which are I'll read back now in regards to squad balance, whether there's a age criteria that Wolves look to sign within and it, it, Scott Sellers said if you have a squad of eighteen year olds, you're going to have problems. Which I think we all agree. If I think if you sign lots of thirty-two-year-olds who you can't sell on, or they're coming towards the end of their careers, then I think that's a bad strategy. I think you can disagree with that. Um, if he's a twenty-eight-year-old and we need him in the squad, then we'll certainly look at that. But I think as a football club, we're always trying to invest in players with futures, but we also have to be mindful of getting the right balance. They're talking about um, improving the squad, but predominantly the first eleven, and I think from a sort of recruitment. Plan this summer. That's that's the way about it. We need to we need to fix our spine again because losing sort of um, Bolly and Jimenez for the majority of this season has has killed us to a degree. And I think we all agree that our midfield is the is the one position that needs more improvement than the other areas. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think as well. Sorry, Steve. No, I was just going to say with um, Matinho looking like he's on on his way out anyway. That kind of that gives them a freeze up one place where they ain't got to have the difficult decisions made for them in a way. Yeah, yeah, but but then going back to the point, I think that succession plan is there for that. You know, Neves in theory steps up to be that elder statesman um, with the idea that Virginia comes in, um, and I think they are building the squad with that in mind. Um, they have admitted in these videos that they might need to have a look at the the small squad size as a as a matter of course, just because you know it, it clearly didn't work this season, did it? Yeah, you know, we, we we struggled with injuries, and certain stuff happened. You know, the the Ral one, you, you really can't legislate for whatsoever. You know, that's not no fault of anyone's. Um, but I think they also again going back to that point where. The squad refresh just needs to happen, and maybe it is just the case that we have come to the end of a bit of a cycle here. Uh, and Jeff Jeff She said this himself. You know, every three or four years, you need new blood. You need to move people on. Players become a bit stale. Maybe Diogo Jota being the case in point. Maybe he just lost a little bit of that edge to play for Wolves, and he'd become a little bit too used to his surroundings. And he need to go and prove a point somewhere else. Um, and he's obviously been doing that at Liverpool. Um, so. I mean, the just moving on from from transfers and things. Uh, there was a there was a conversation about 
people coming in and out of the um, the business uh, in terms of the leadership group. Obviously, we we talk about people like Laurie Dalrymple who who were with this with the club when um, when Jeff Sheen and Foson came in. Obviously, he became a popular figure, then moved on as well. And and Jeff certainly made the point that he thinks he's surrounded by much stronger people and, and much better people. Kevin Thelwell, another one who who clearly was doing a good job at Wolves as well. But we had these guys, you know, in front of us on camera for the first time as a group. Um, how did they come across to you guys? Ooh. <laughs> there's the yeah, uh, there's the kicker. Go on. <laughs> you can take this one first. It, it, it's, it's a tough one because at, at the end of the day, they're doing their job. It's they're not. This is you know my you know my opinions on Laurie Dalrymple. Everyone thought he was flipping Robin Hood, um, just the man of the people. It's easy to it was easy to do Laurie Dalrymple's job when we were, when we were doing this. You get flipping Laurie Dalrymple in the OGZ giving out beer tokens after a 4-0 defeat at Burnley. Doesn't happen. But we're never in that position, were we? And I think this... Yeah, I think but, Jeff... but Laurie Dalrymple wasn't the reason we, we were doing this. It was because of Fosun's money and the investment that they put in bringing the players. Laurie Dalrymple was just giving out interview snippets, telling the fans what they wanted to hear. And I think Jeff made a sort of sim a, a little comment in regards to Maybe he shouldn't have been saying that sort of thing in that in that series. People were going out on their own back, promising stuff that maybe wasn't in the current plans. But everything we all we all said at the same time. There's no way that Fosun would have let him go out into the media and say things that they didn't want out there. And maybe he did go too far. Maybe that's why he's not here anymore. But from what I, I mean, looking at that there from Dean Marsden, bunch of yes men, and that's exactly what they came across for for me. They were just there. I mean, they're not there to speak to the public. Like you said, they're there to do the jobs. But there's not one of them there who's got that kind of... Uh, Dalrymple had likability about him. He, he had a bit of charisma. None of them there were publicly facing people who you could say, okay, we're going to put him on Sky Sports News. He's going to speak to speak to Jim White on transfer deadline day and have a bit of a laugh, which I know this is not their job, but... <laughs> It doesn't help when they're all wearing stuffy suits and tight shirts and have a kind of air of arrogance about them. And maybe that's are, are just... we, I mean, so, uh, to be honest, are, are we are we are we mixing up the message with with the people behind it as well now? Because I think oh, no, no, ultimately, just... I I, I, pers I personally feel I personally feel that they came across as a well kind of informed group of people. Um, I know I, I understand why people are calling them yes men, but if if they were giving out messages which weren't aligned, you know, as a group on a forum in in that way, you know, then it becomes an absolute shit show, doesn't it? Then they're not. Then they become an absolute basket case of a group. I think because you wouldn't air your dirty laundry in that kind of forum. You just wouldn't do it. They're probably having arguments, you know, behind closed doors because that's what happens in business. But. Ultimately, they have to show a united front. And Jeff referenced the Wolves family, you know, and he has to look after them before he looks after the fans to a certain extent. Yeah. I've Can got I just no quickly jump back to a comment which, which um, Stu just mentioned in regards to the attire of what these people were wearing. 
Uh, no, I, I was only saying that because of that's what's been, <laughs> they've been slagged off on Twitter for. You've you yeah, got a exactly. man in the vest <laughs> talking about people's attire who were put in front of a camera which was going to be viewed by hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> and you wanted to turn up in flipping through to the loom. Well, I, I don't know what, how the attire thing was such a difficult thing for people to accept. No, Stu, that's was expecting, Stu was expecting hundreds of thousands of people on this on this live, and that's why you yeah. wore what you wore. But that's what <laughs> I was. I just brought up that because it was a point that people were talking about on Twitter. That then that's how it came. I'm not saying that the people how it came across were to a lot of people that these these bunch of people were just were the the so the yes men may be a bit harsh, but. Like you said, Gully, they are they obviously have to have a unified front about these things, but none of them seem to be it's hard to describe. None of them seem to be like against anything. Everyone was like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Which obviously it's a, it's fully rehearsed and it's a set piece and it's all been it's probably been you know, I know John, there was a few times when Johnny asked questions and they were kind of shuffling a bit, but there's just no one there who's got the likability factor for me. And they don't have to be. There doesn't have to be, but when you compare it to what Dalrymple was, that's where he shined. But now we've got to get used to these people are running it like a business, and that's what it is to them. And going back even further than that, um, you know, did Jess Moxie have a likability factor? Um, <laughs> did he do a good, good job for the club as well? Because we know he did. You know, we know that Jess pulled off some great deals for the club, and I think I think part of this is. We've never had these kind of people in these kind of positions at this club before. You know, it would have been a one-man band, someone like Jez, who headed up every department, you know, that run the club, whether it be ticketing, retail, all this kind of stuff. And now it's become more of a, a genuine business. And it has to because, as we know, Fosun are very interested in the commercialisation of the football club. You have to, you know, accept that this is the way it's going and you will have these people, you know, who, who understand the club, the inner workings of the club far better than we do, let's be fair, because they're in it every single day. They're gonna they're gonna be in these positions. Yeah. And there's there's no there's no real problem with that. I was just, that's what I was just answering the, the question of what your impressions of these people were, and that's what mine was. I mean we don't know, do we? We don't know who any of these are. I mean the um big evil Vinny as he's been called online. <laughs> He's the one who's took most of it, and then we'll get into the ticketing in a bit. But he's only been here two years. Well, he's on admission. He's been here two years. Just been here for five. Um, the other guy, the guy with the um, the glasses, is it Russell Russell Jones. Russell, he's Russell the, Jones, yeah, yeah, lifelong fan. So he he seemed to be the one who had a bit of heart about him, which you'd expect. But the rest were doing a job, and they're answering questions in their job, and it just didn't. It's just not what we're used to, I think. I think that's kind of... It's not what we're used to. We didn't get the answers that we wanted. I think that's it's what not what we're is. used to because we're not used to being this pedigree of Premier League club in in our generation. Oh. In our generation, we, we're used to flipping bald blokes like me and you, Stu, talking <laughs> to the fans, flipping blokes who flipping brought an house in New Invention for 700 quid in 1974. <laughs> things, have, things have changed. We're, we're not just... Football as a whole is not football anymore. It's a, it's become a business. The working class people have been priced out of the game. And that, that's the situation that we're in at the moment. It's it's difficult. I think one of the things that rolled up a lot of people 
no no working class person wants to be told by another person that they're working class as, as much as they are. <laughs> yeah. No. No, you're right. You're totally right. But at the same time, you know, like you said, I think given that it's the third coming up to the fourth year of being at this level, I mean, our lifetimes are the longest. That's the longest time we've spent at any point in the Premier League. Um, and at some point, the the ticketing and the pricing conversation was going to rear its head. And we finally reached that stage and obviously kicked off by the solitary fixture that um, fans could attend this season against Manchester United. Now, they spoke in the video about how this was quite a showpiece occasion for the club in terms of finally we can have fans back in the ground, which was very kind of diametrically opposite to the way fans were viewing the game, clearly, because a lot of it was about how we had nothing to play for, Manchester United were going to play their reserves, etc., etc. Um Now, I think you've both had your opinions on on the ticket debate um, privately within our WhatsApp groups and whatnot, and probably in, in, on Twitter as well. But can you just kind of summarise you know, where you guys sit on, on that fence? The whole thing was ridiculous for me. <laughs> and it, it was... It was not a showpiece occasion. It was getting a few fans in because of what the government's done to us. And in a dead rubber, we still lost, by the way, <laughs> against Man United's C team. Um, after an awful, awful season, and again, they didn't know that Nuno was going to be gone, but they kind of hinted at it. There was a sip of the tongue once that they talked about him in the in the past tense, so they kind of, well, they knew all along. But yeah, for... <laughs> It was just ma- it was just a massive own goal for me, and it proved it when it went down to the um, priority four. If that had been twenty twenty five quid, thirty quid, it would have gone straight away, day one, all all gone. But to put it as put it as the most expensive tickets at Molyneux ever for that game was just taking a piss for me. And I know Dan's going to say the complete opposite, but for for me personally, I just and that's you know I, I my mom was in priority one. My sister was in priority one, so my uncle was in three. I didn't bother. Obviously, I've said that my reasons for that. None. Of, as soon as the ticket prices came out, they said, well, no way. And a lot of people did the same. And there was only 13,000 applied for it anyway in the first place. So I think they just got it massively, massively wrong. The club got it massively wrong. I got it massively wrong. But to be honest, you two know me more than more than a lot of people. When it came to that sort of priority ballot system and the ticket pricing, as soon as, as, soon as people were telling me, you can't play <laughs> that, you shouldn't be going, you, you could put another 40 quid on top of that and I would have been going just to piss people off because I don't like being told what to do. You know me. I mean? As soon as I was being told I shouldn't be doing something, I was doing it. I, I wanted to be back in the ground, but yeah, for, 45 pound was a ridiculous fee. Um, and then to come out in that Ask Wall series and treat the as what we are to them the consumer stupid and say it was a momentous occasion um yeah it, it was really in poor taste for me like i just said a, a lot of the reasons why people were telling me not to pay after the year we've had in the pandemic people losing the jobs and whatnot to, ch- to charge the working class man 45 pound was was really in poor taste by the club and i think that's what really wound a lot of people up with um Vinny's comments saying he's, he's as working class as everyone else and he felt that was the, the right fee 
to uh, to charge after so long away from the ground. I thought, yeah, poor taste. So Dan, I, I mean, to to kind of pick up on probably some of our private conversations, actually, in the sense that we understand, and they made this point clear in the videos that we've probably been undervaluing the product, you know, in inverted commas. Um, over the last few years, you know, we've been competing in Europe. Um, we've been competing in the the top of, towards the top of the Premier League. You know, beating some of the best teams in the country as well. We always knew that this conversation was going to happen at some point. Um, so, do 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 you think people should be getting behind the idea that you know we are watching a better team ultimately than we have been for the last 30, 40 years? Well, I think the proof's in the pudding with our last, not forget this season, because it was just a, an, un, an unfortunate farce of injuries, pandemic, and just poor recruitment, poor management across the, across the club. But you look at this, the, um, the the three seasons before that, romping the championship and the two seventh-place finishes, people won't want to hear it. But we have been undercharged. People might not accept that, but that's my opinion. I think we've been undercharged in, in hindsight from this moment, looking back to those three seasons. You go back to the Championship under, so I reckon even under um, Steve Morgan, last time he was promoted, I bet we was paying 30, 40 pounds for games back then. Yep. We yeah, wouldn't we be far off, Stu, would we? We were paying more under Steve Morgan than when we... Uh, in the last, the last year under Steve Morgan, we were paying more than we were in our first year back this time around. That's correct. Um, but next slide. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're we're all going to Chris Whitty for our own good. Let's not talk. About it. <laughs> Gully's Gully's next. Can you follow it all you want? But um, it's what your class is undercharged. Football's overcharged anyway. Football's ridiculous. We all know that. Yeah, and the I fact agree. that the fact that the Premier League three-year thing of which. You'd presume they'll extend for for three years from whenever we can come back for away tickets. Proves it. Away games are sold out everywhere because they're thirty quid. But then you get someone sitting, what, six six twelve foot away from you at the other side of some tall pawling that has spent seventy quid on that the same ticket, which is it's bollocks. It's ridiculous. But we're in it. We live in Wolverhampton of all places, which is not. I mean, look, the quote there from him. From Savini, we're commercially miles away from. I don't want to use the big six, six because it's not in vogue at the moment. But we're miles away from them. Of course, we fucking are. Look <laughs> where they're, li- they're in Manchester, Liverpool, London. You can charge whatever you want there. You can charge sixty quid there. That's fine. But we're in a, in a small stadium in one of the most impoverished towns in the in the entire <laughs> country. You can't be saying. Oh, and whilst we never want to be pricing our ticketing so that it's unaffordable and it's pricing people out, pricing the working man out, and I'm a working class lad myself, we're desperate not to do that. But that's exactly what they're doing. And for the the amount of money that raising the prices again is going to bring in, what, two million, two million quid a year? What's that when the TV money's 140? It pays for half half a season's worth of wages for someone. Is, so, it, is it well, really? Yeah. Is it really? Is it really worth all the hassle and all the bad PR that that's going to bring in for the sake of some some? Well, just use Matinho for instance for another Matinho, which we could do anyway with different t- 
in different methods, but that's another different story. But is it worth the, the bad PR to bring in a, half a player's wages for a year? I don't think but it is, because you look at the, 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 the quotes of, from... Go on. I mean, you've alluded to it there, Stu, but to kind of bring it full circle, and they are keen to stress that everything essentially is in is in the interests of the first team squad and whatnot. You know, they put, posted a £40 million loss, you know, over the last year, based on the last um, set of accounts that they published. That revenue would have been supported by match day revenue, etc., etc. So, if we want to be watching better players and a better team and stuff, do we kind of have to just put up or shut up? That forty that forty million loss was not a loss; it was a deferral. They'll get that back in a month. It's the same for every club. We would, like I said earlier, we would have made a seventeen million pound profit without that deferral happening. It doesn't. It doesn't wash with me at all. It's all about small margins, though, isn't it? When it comes to financial fair play, Stu, you know this. And, yeah, £2 million revenue isn't big in the grand scheme of things, but look at it from a business point of view. The less Wolves lose, the easier it is for Jeff Shee to go to Chairman Grow and ask for more money to invest in the club in the future. And or the other thing that the other point that they made was that all the TV money across the Premier League is pretty much split evenly, and you know that few million pounds here or there. You know, you look at a stadium like they, they reference Newcastle again because you know we, that lest we forget they finished above us on goal scored, so they have to be seen as our um, our benchmark at this point in time. So you know, fifty two thousand seat stadium. You know, they absolutely blow us out of the water, you know, with a full stadium. So if an extra fiver on tickets, you know, makes that up, then really the club is probably doing what's in the best interest of the club, aren't they? And I think that's an extra fiver wouldn't be an extra fiver a game wouldn't be that bad. But it's how they're talking about what it's going to lead to, which it doesn't seem to be a fiver a game. But again, that's that not saying not when we know in June. We're two months away from the season starting. A lot of clubs are already selling season tickets anyway for next season. Leicester, for one, who are cheaper than us. Um, we don't even know what the, tickets are, what the ticket prices are. And it's a bit mental. That, I know they, they mentioned that saying they don't want to um, sell season tickets because then giving rebates out is a bit of a nightmare. But what? how are they going to do it? Are they, they're just going just to turn it up in July and say, oh, yeah, here you go. You've got a month to buy a ticket. And unless you presume yeah. they put a, a put a payment payment plan in place anyway, like the eight month thing that like they normally do, it's just it's all a bit of a mess, and not being not the not having clarity on what they're actually talking about and the price numbers they're talking about. It's kind of you when Vinny when I've got the quote there when he talks about being mid table mid table in the pricing structure table. Um, and you said people saying oh, 800, but you look at it between eighth and 12th, which is mid table, which is what he's talking about. The difference is between 750 and 890 quid for the most expensive ticket. And if he wants us to be in there, then that's what they're talking about. Just be honest with us. I know they've been more than honest anyway with these videos, but they've just put more out there for more people to guess and then to slag off things that might not happen. Five quid increase on it on a match ticket. After the year we've had, probably not that bad. But if it's more than that, that's when you start taking a piss. 
I, I still get frustrated when I when I hear Wolves fans um, using Leicester as a benchmark without sort of accepting they've had twice as many consecutive Premier League campaigns than us now. They've won the league. They've had Champions League campaigns. They're, they're working in a different financial um, bracket where they can afford to have sort of cheaper tickets because of how much they've brought in in recent years, whereas Fawson have been spending quite decent in the first two years at, at Wolves. And then from the way I see it now, they're trying to recoup some of that money back before maybe having a plan, maybe not this year, but the, the season after to go big again. We're still in... Are we still like sort of in the last year of the the FFP window where we can get caught? No, it's a rolling three years, which is why when he when he talked about that, um, how it was. But we've still got UA for sanctions against us, though, haven't we? Yeah, but again, it's a it's a rolling three years. So as long as we don't lose that money next year, which we won't anyway, because the rebate will be paid back, it won't be a problem. That's why when he brought it up, I thought, well, what were you saying this for? Because it's a rolling three year average. So the championship year, in terms of financing, doesn't matter. That that fifty million loss doesn't matter with a three-year rolling thing. So it's another one of them where it's, they were telling us stuff that made sense, but when you look, when you delve deeper into it, it's a bit murky. I mean, I think we've just got to take the club's word on that kind of stuff as well, though, ain't we? Let's be fair. It's. You know they do publish the accounts every year, but how much do we really know? Um, and and we don't really have a right to know about all of that kind of stuff, do we? I guess it's it's just one of those things. But going back to let, kind of gone gone down. Let, let me just put you two on the spot for a second. Bearing in mind this is going to be our fourth season in the Premier League. Yeah, I'm, 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 after the pandemic, I'm, I'm, I don't know what year it is half the time anymore. This is our fourth consecutive season in the Premier League with the players that we've had in recent years, Jimenez, Rui Patricio, João Martinho. What is a reasonable amount for a season ticket in the South Bank? What is it now? Yeah, <laughs> I can only go on what mine was. Yeah, I Okay, so well, we'll work what's, what's, what's the reasonable? Okay, we'll just just work on an average of the, of the four stands. What's what's the average reasonable season ticket in Molyneux? Well, from Steve Ball from two years ago was five four four, which was fine. No, but no problem about that whatsoever. But it, it had already gone up 15 percent from the year before that. Um, again, for the same amount of games, for still with nineteen games, we hadn't really bought anyone in either, from other than. Signing rail perm rail permanently, um, so to increase it that much again would take it to nearly six hundred. Take out the fact that we've had a year off, so you're looking at about six fifty for the, the six fifty. If guessing going from what they're kind of hinting at, it's going to be six hundred and fifty quid in the Steve Ball. Which is that okay? If you took it on its own, if you took it on its own. Then probably what is that? Thirty-five quid a game. Yes, not, that's what I'm not, saying. Thirty-five pound for a modern-day Premier League game for an established Premier League side. I, I, I don't think steep. I, I know people work on different. I've got yeah. a different wages. I know people have lost their jobs in the last year because of the pandemic and whatnot. But I still think thirty-five pound for a modern-day Premier League top-half side, which we're hoping to become, isn't steep. No. It's not steep, but it's the- I, 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 right, let me let me put a different story because I don't, I don't want to come across some sort of rich 
idiot. I haven't got kids. I know people, it's, it's a different world for people who've got two kids and take the missus. That's like, it's well over a grand, two grand for a season, which is, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I'm working on my own. Support, but I don't think £35 for a match day ticket in the Premier League is steep. No, it's not. And that's that was what my point, the next point was going to be. If you take it on its own, 35 quid is probably a bit fair. And in that case, Vinny was right. Because if we if we'd have got promoted and said, yeah, this, it's going to be, if you get a season ticket, it works at 35 quid per game, 40 quid on the door per game. But to, for, to the increase, again, from what it was, that's where the, I think it comes across as a bit murky because we've gone backwards this season. We haven't had football for a year. So for them to jump a year's worth of prices and put the money up again, it just leaves a sour taste. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about any hundred quid extra after after what we've had, which isn't. It's not better football. It's been worse. So that's where I was coming from. If you take it as thirty five quid per game. Fine, no problem with that whatsoever. But in the circumstances and what it kind of surrounds it, it just doesn't sit right with me. So you'd rather the club not charge £35 this season because we've been in the pandemic, but you're happy to charge them charge £70 the season after? What? An extra £70, I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's just as a solidarity thing. If they just kept say, okay, we'll keep the prices as they were when you left, and then increase it the year out, so with the understanding that it'll go up next season, I think it just it just sit better with people because then you've got a whole year's worth of knowing about it to prepare yourself, but then to just drop it on you after after the way things have been, I think it's just a bit of a shit thing to do. We've had a, um, a comment from fair. a fellow fan, Castrian Luke, that says, "Do the club need the money?" Is that an, um, a, a relevant comment from a, a financial point of view? Are, are Fosun expected to constantly just take losses to to keep the club? Well, from everything they've said in these videos, yes, they do. They absolutely do. So, you know, it, it, it comes back to the point, again, that they've made. Again, they've, they've addressed the point. You know, we can't necessarily... We can have our opinions on it, but they've made they've made their stance quite clear. They need that revenue. You know, this isn't a product we should be having on the cheap. At the end of the day, they have invested in this club. They've got us in a in a play, in a standing in a stature that we've not experienced in our lifetimes. Uh, you know, talking about the three of us um, that are on this call. So you you have to take their word for that. You absolutely have to. And they've they've got they've built up enough credit in the bank as owners to 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 do that. I think. One of the other things that's becoming massively frustrating for me, and I'm quite a calm guy, as you know. Um, <laughs> you, got, you have comments like this. Um, with the extra money it brings in, in raising ticket prices around £3 million, is is it worth pricing out a generation and honest fans who love the club? £3 million is Rui's wages for about six months or so. Wolves are in talks to be giving John Ruddy a new contract. Do you want to lose that £3 million on Rui's wages for another one, two years of John Ruddy? <laughs> which, just, which don't pay, just don't give really a contract at all it's also just not it's just not that simple is it it's not this is paying for that that's just not how businesses work no just it's, it's just frustrating I, I saw one comment the other day saying you know this um ticket revenue increase 
just just sell Den Donker. I just <laughs> I know he hasn't had a great season, but he's still better than some of the midfielders that we've still got on our books. Yeah, we'll, well and we'll probably sell Den Donker, <laughs> you know, over over the course many, of about four years, been, so. about two two million pound a year, you know, or whatever it is. Like it's you know, nobody's nobody's got all this cash in hand, have they? This isn't this isn't business. So you know, it's it's this I, is a thing that I do another, another thing that frustrates me, Gully. I know I know it's surprising me being frustrated, I know. But we we haven't got owners like Abramovich or Sheikh Mansour or the um the Leicester owners who are like that the football club as, as big as good as businesses is, it's it's a it's a hobby for them. I, I don't think Faustin have got that attachment yet, which they sort of alluded to wanting in this video. And let's be fair, those people you've named, those clubs you've named, they won't come out and speak to their fans in this vein either. Yeah, you know, I can't remember Roman Abramovich doing an interview with the media. Yes, he's brought success to Chelsea, but you know. He, is is that is that enough? You know, is he is he got any connection with the fans? Any rapport? Any kind of um, appreciation for what fans have to to deal with as 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 you know to follow their football club at the end of the day? And you know, com coming back onto that subject, um, the the fans' parliament was was referenced uh, by Jeff, and he suggested that it, it wasn't necessarily working too well when he first came to the club, and he has alluded to the fact that he wants to get to know the Wolves fans better. He doesn't quite necessarily have a full understanding of the personality maybe of the fan base and and uh, the the Wolverhampton area and he wants to do a little bit more with with regard to consulting the fans and and where do you think where do you think we can we can help really because they, they do seem to be doing obviously all their work um inner workings you know between that kind of leadership group but what what, what are the fans offering the club beyond the the support you need to be talking to supporters groups, don't you? It, and not not the parliament who are elected bunch of, well, you, careful. If you, yeah, <laughs> that's a sense of sense of myself. I know, I yeah, know, a fan, people, fan cast. Yeah, I know a couple of people on there, so I, I, but I'm just saying, you, you know, the demo, if you think Wolves fans parliament, you kind of think you know the demographic of people on there. You need to be talking to not just the ones here, the, the worldwide Wolves supporters groups as well. Set up. I mean, how hard can it be? I mean, we we set this up in the space of what half a day, so uh, just have a regular thing like once a month talk. What is that? No, regularly. Regular talk to different people, different groups once a month. Just see see what they're feeling. How hard how hard could that be? It doesn't have to be Jeff. It could be someone else. It could be just in, like if you got a supporter liaison officer or some someone like that. Just create the role. Give them give them half a million quid a year to talk about those people. But you can't just have the parliament as the the one voice of fans because they're not. You can look at you can look at forums. You can look at Twitter if you if you dare. But there's enough people in enough groups of supporters of different ages, different races, different religions, whatever you want. They need to talk to all of them and not just one. Yeah, so we'll um, we'll leave it there, guys, for for a minute. Just have a quick break, uh, and when we come back, we'll delve a little bit further into the um, the relationship with the fans and and the board, and uh, a few more issues that have been raised by the Ask All series. Mm. 
Welcome back, guys. Um, we were just alluding to the fact that the fans' parliament might not have been the ideal forum for the, the fans to get their point across to to Jeff Shee, who, who, like we say, he, it, it seems to me that he's 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 made he's trying to make an effort. Now he he made the point I think earlier on in the series that he doesn't want to speak too often because a lot of it can be just paying lip service um, and you know making promises you can't fulfil and that kind of thing, but. Him in particular as an individual, how, what did you make of him? And I, I mean, personally speaking, compared to you know when he walked through the door on day one, he seems to have come on leaps and bounds uh, as a as a knowledgeable kind of football owner who who has an understanding of the industry. I don't know if that came across to you. Yeah, I think just the fact that he goes to the women's games, doing the twenty threes games, he's there all the time on the training ground. You don't see many owners doing that, dear. And I mean, he even admits, admits himself that he's kind of learned on the job about football. And fair play to him, he's been he's been as open as anyone you could possibly imagine. I mean, we all got the when that took over five years ago. Did anyone expect someone from a suit from China to be at the ground every day? You know, I certainly didn't. So I've got no problem with Jeff. She he's just he comes across well. It's he speaks remarkably well. <laughs> For some of his age as well, and yeah, I've got no problem with him. He seems he seems to be genuinely have a genuinely affection for the club, which is weird in the same same sentence. I, I think he's been Wolverhamptoned now. That I think yeah. he's become a bit. I, I feel like he's lost his enthusiasm to a degree. I think he started <laughs> to to read too many forums, listen to too many podcasts, and I, and I think he started to realise that. Wolves fans are a fickle bunch, and maybe, maybe we expect too much. But I think with the the quickest scent that we've we've had in the in in the early years under Faust, and it's it's quite hard to accept a, a season like this without having a bit of um, realism and common sense to look at. Um, there's, there's some good comments from South Bank QQ sixty three in in the comment section saying that they want Faust and want to use Wolves as a global advertising business around the world. Look at what they did with Benicafabi, for instance. You talk about that £2 million revenue and ticket funds. They felt like £2 million was something that they needed to, to balance the books, and they did exactly the same with Benicafabi. They're not football people. They're not they're not from Wolverhampton. They're slowly learning about Wolverhampton, but at the end of the day, they're still a business, and you don't become multi-billionaire conglomerate by giving away £2 million every now and then, do you? Well, no, but like you said there about what the um, the club to pay for itself. Remember, there was um, a, a Bloomberg video with uh, Chairman Grow, um, yeah, yeah. at September time, talking about the pandemic and stuff, and and they asked him the question there and said, "But did you um, did you pay? Did you give money to Walls to tide them over?" And he said then that they offered, but the club said no, that they didn't need it. So, where, how does this then tie into all this? Are oh, we broke and all this stuff? Because it's he probably should have said that in the grand scheme of things, but he, if we could, if we could pay our own, furlough our own people without relying on the government for this whole for the whole time they were off, including tickets. Not all clubs did that either, Stuart. As no, well, exactly. not get this. This is what I mean. So we Wolves did that. They paid the wages, full wages of everyone who was off furloughed for the whole time they were off. Some of them only been been back three weeks, which is brilliant, and they didn't need any money. Off, off the Fosen group, but now it's kind of turned around and said, oh, well, we're going to need money now. We put, 
this is why this is what this whole thing has been a bit weird for me because there's been so many contradictory things said from different points and different people that something in the middle is not quite there and it's hard to put the f- finger on what it is but yeah jeff jeff is great uh, <laughs> i mean let's be fair they have they have no business in t- telling everybody you know what's going on at the club uh, and just to have this kind of series of 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 q and a's that we've had is is still a hell of a lot more than a lot of clubs will will enjoy from 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 their their boards their ownerships um just going to touch back on that point you made about global brand you know commercialization and and really growing the the wolves kind of family um i know we we see a hell of a lot from the club then branched out into esports um you know we've got this you know fashion range in china you know the, clearly they 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 see wolves as kind of the epicenter of of, of many many things and um you know there was the, the reference to the red bull model in the um in the series as well and i mean to me it sounds pretty exciting just you know being able to think about you know i think one of the things that attracted Vosen to the club was the name the brand you know it is a really strong without realizing and really tapping into that potential i think you know strong um, asset that the club has got i think a lot of the things uh, another one of the things that the fans buy into too much is is comments like comparing us to the red bull model it should be seen it should be seen as a positive thing not that we're going to rebrand as red bull walls or anything like that if, if they would have came out and said we want to do the flipping blackpool portsmouth model that's something to flipping have a, have a cry about not a, a club that's obviously i know it's early in its early in its infancy as um as a, a club, but they're, they're, sec- they're successful clubs, Leipzig and Salzburg. And New York 100%. as well. Yeah, New yeah. York, yeah. I mean, the, if, we, if we get an our own soapbox race, that would be pretty interesting. Oh. Um, <laughs> have, you, have you ever built a soapbox? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Oh, you never lived. In the, in the summer holidays, when I was about 10, 11, one of them, um, you know, them crates that they used to drop it with the bread. Put some um, some old bike wheels on the side of them. Superb. <laughs> Stu, you're going to start this off. Wolf soapbox races. Yeah, exactly. That's I mean, you see that. Club. You see that. You'll see that as um, that's as recognisable as the um, the New York hats that you see everywhere. Exactly. That's our next charity fundraiser next year. That is the the, the Wolves podcast soapbox derby. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other kind of related thing as well to that was this idea of a worldwide fan base and uh, I, I wanted to get your guys thoughts on it because English football I think in general has a very um, interesting uh, point of view when it comes to overseas fans of clubs um, we've seen it with the likes of the European Super League and, and the way that that was marketed as a as a, as a way of expanding um, certain clubs' profiles all over the world more money to be made etc well you know Fosun are clearly um intent on wolves being one of those clubs that takes advantage of commercial opportunities all over the world we have 160 supporter clubs that they've referenced um, in that video as well do we need to kind of change our opinion on on that kind of stuff now and appreciate because russell i mean russell jones said himself when he goes to mexico he sees those people as wolves fans 
you know, and, and is that something that we need to start getting used to and getting our head around and start to appreciate a little bit? It's all the thing of um, if you if you're not watching the game live, then your opinion don't count. Which after this after this season, hopefully that's kind of that's been forever because we've all had to watch it on telly and all we've all suffered together. <laughs> so I think from that point, that used to be the old way that. Oh, like people who found who found in like WM and stuff, and they've only listened to it on the radio. Well, they've still consumed it in a certain way, so they've still got an opinion just based on what they've listened to, or what they've seen. It doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't matter where you come from. I mean, I've got a, a statue of Joe Namath over there from the from the Jets. I've never been to New York, and I've been to America, but I watch every Jets game every Sunday. I mean, yeah, they're shit. They're always they're always been shit my entire life. But I'll still watch the Jets every week, but that doesn't make me any less of a fan because I'm here. So, I mean, for the guys, like, we'll give them a shout out, whole lot of wolves. If you, when you get in an American based podcast on a, an English football club who have n- done nothing since 1980, let's be honest, it's amazing. It's great. More than, more than merrier. But you can't then say, oh, yeah, because I know what they were saying. I mean, Russell saying that, yeah, I class them as fans. No, they're, they're fans of Raul, and but some of them will stay Wolves fans. You don't you don't have to take that number literally. You don't have to say, well, we just because we've got millions on the Spanish Twitter account or whatever it is, not all of them will stay there, but some will. And if they if they're Wolves fans and they re- recognise as Wolves fans, and they buy the merch and they put the money into the club and the, that's in their heart, then fine. It doesn't matter where you come from. It, it it's a good selling point. Uh potential investors that we've got over three million fans globally but like what Stu said once Raul leaves and that number is probably cut by 75 percent that's when you need to have a bit of realism and that's when first will need to be heavy with their investments again because they need to start looking at that next superstar to push the club forward because Raul ain't going to be here forever nor, nor might he be the same player as he was before the injury yeah, I guess. Do you still do you still accept that that the idea that you know someone in Mexico for a lunchtime kickoff is probably tuning in, you know, five six o'clock in the morning, maybe even earlier, to get up and watch Wolves though? Because you know that's a commitment in itself, isn't it? You know, they can't be here. There might be one day they'll they'll make the trip and whatnot. You know, they have their right and they have their. I guess now they they kind of have their space, their own space as being a Wolves fan, don't they? When I saw a Mexican fan on on Facebook slating Ryan Bennett after a one lost defeat, I knew he was Wolves <laughs> as much as me. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, just a couple more things really to touch on. I think um, before we wrap up, um, Molyneux, we all love it. We're all there on Monday. Um, sorry, Steve, actually you weren't, but um, you know we all we all got to see it in its glory um, for, for many many years. There was talk about um, stadium expansions, obviously, you know, probably you're talking 18 months ago now. Um, and they, they did speak about this subject um, on the series and how important it is to invest in the stadium, but it being quite a, a long-term payback on it, you know, any any money you do spend on it, you're not seeing a return on it for probably 15, 20 years. Um Stu, as a, as a Steve Bull resident, um, how important do you think it is that they they really take a take a you know a priority on this? 
I mean, uh, every time I step foot in it, I'm, I'm amazed it's still standing, to be honest. Um, I mean, uh, when Steve Morgan finished the, when they finished rebuilding the North Bank, I unscrewed my seat, expecting it to be um, demolished. I mean, the, the game before the last game of the season, because I thought, well, they're going to check for screwdrivers and all sorts of for the last game in case people try it. So I'd done it in preparation. And you, then you, the you thought they were checking for, they thought they were checking for screwdrivers in case someone was trying to unscrew their seat rather than any other. Um, well, the, yeah, the, there might be other reasons as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I'd, I'd, I had a uni tool in my wallet and I kind of un- unscrewed my seat. And it's been loose ever since. That hope that one day I don't have to sit there anymore. But it needs doing. It's just a joke. I can't sit down. I mean, I'm on the back row, so it doesn't matter, as my name says. Um, I'm on the back row, so it doesn't matter to me. But if I had to sit down in that seat, I couldn't without putting my knees into something the bloke in front of his back. It's... it's it's outdated. It's a joke. It needs to be crumpled to the ground. And for them to, again, another thing that doesn't make sense. They came here that they commissioned that artist impression, saying that this is what it could look like. They never said what it would. They said what it could look like. And then they're saying that yeah, they're prioritizing prioritizing the the first team, which is the right thing to do. But not once in this whole thing was it mentioned that they can do both, and that this money. I mean, I, I said this on Molly New Mix as well, that you can, it costs, what, 40, 50 million to re, redo the Steve Ball, to demolish it and rebuild it. They could quite easily, well, not easy, but they could easily just lend the money off the Fosen Group, just hypothetically, and then pay it back over 10 years, 4 million a year, ring fence. Like, like what, the rent that West Ham pay to the uh, London Council for that, for that weird place. It doesn't care for FFP. At all, so it, it, it's not included in any anything whatsoever. So that if you're paying for, if we're generating hundred and hundred and forty, hundred and fifty million quid a year, and you ring fence four or five of that to rebuild the stadium over ten years, they kept saying in this thing that it, it's Faust and family. They're here for the long term. Well, if they're here for the long term, then what difference does it make if it takes twenty years to repay it off? It's just another thing that's just weird and doesn't really. Click every tick every box from what they said before. Uh, to me, it just kind of speaks to football and Premier League status being quite a fragile thing, I guess, as well. You know, at any point, it could all fall apart. You know, we weren't that far off being sucked into a relegation battle this season, really, were we? So, it, it's, maybe it's, 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 it scared them. Yeah, well, clearly it did. And, you know, I, I think it's probably high time we we touched on um the the future of the club which is very much up in the air um we are reading the reports um every day now that bruno lage lage i think something like that is going to be announced as a new manager imminently and all the talk of you know transfer policy squad finances everything you know could really hinge on this appointment at the end of the day, you know, it really is quite quite important that we get this right. And there's talk of bringing a more attacking style to the club, which in itself, you know, we go back to season ticket pricing and you know the entertainment value and the product value and all this. It all it's all very symbiotic the relationship between everything and and the first team. So, I mean, he's not got the the biggest pedigree, but he does have a league title in his hand, and um, something that Nuno didn't have when he arrived at the club. So, how how are you taking the news? That Bruno's on his way. I've, other than 
the title because it's been mentioned by um, Alex on Twitter. The, not Alex Moore, obviously. Um, <laughs> I didn't know anything about him other than that he'd won that title and then he'd left soon after. So, but then looking into him this week, and a lot of people have done videos on on his tactics and different things. I'm all in it. Why not? No one. Every every appointment's a gamble. Ancelotti did fuck all at Everton, did he? Look where they finished. They they were all winning the league in September, and it just petered out into nothing with the fifteenth worst home record in the league. And that's with someone with a massive pedigree, great experience, just didn't click. So if everyone's saying, and let's, let's get it right, people like Jackie Outley calling him out and slagging him off and putting doubt in people's minds, he's just not on at all. You've got to give the bloke a chance, regardless if, if you like him or not, you've got to give him a chance. Well, you end up like Benitez at Chelsea, hated from the start. He was he was on a hiding to nothing. For me, all I wanted, after the last year of boredom, the thought of it being like Keegan Newcastle in the 90s, bring it on. 700 quid season ticket for that and he seems to be work he seems to be someone who works with kids as well and that's what we're looking at how that they've the succession planning we were talking about earlier and how how much faith they've got in the academy and maybe Dion sanderson does come back and he's a world beater jumping from league one to the premier league after all who knows maybe ryan joyles is the the left back that we missed but someone who, who's prepared to give youth a chance plays exciting football, and he's Portuguese, it ticks every box for me. Bring it on. It, it, we're, on so, we're on such a tightrope of this um, next appointment in my eyes that it doesn't matter wherever we get Pep in. If, if I was not willing to back that manager, I think we're going to struggle. I think Bruno Large, he, he, he looks like he's pretty much done work permit wise now. He's just waiting for the announcement to sort the backroom stuff out. Um, if he doesn't get off to a good start with with the mentality of the fan base at the moment, I, I, I don't see how he can succeed. No, it's, that's that's the biggest concern for me. He needs to hit the ground running. I was speaking to one of my friends who's um, actual Benfica fan, born and raised in Lisbon. He said Bruno Large pretty much rode the wave of the new manager bounce when he when he took over at Benfica. Um, after winning the league, he start he started not to um, to take as much risks in his um, team selections. The second season under his management, he struggled to beat the lower teams, which he'd comfortably beat the season before. And then when things started to go a bit awry, he threw the players under the bus, Mourinho esque. And then he finished off with Wolves fans will love him. <laughs> it's just, it sounds like every every manager, they were, everyone's. This is the problem. Everyone seems to be focusing on what went wrong rather than what went right to start with, which is just weird. Because if you do that with to Nuno, how Nuno ended at, at Porto, how Nuno ended at Valencia, he'd it, it, it never have had a chance here. The whole thing's yeah. just really odd to me. I mean, like my brother sent me earlier, I sent him a picture of the um the the new the new shirt for next season, and he said either way it's a relegation strip if we're appointing that manager. What? Because yeah, he knows. He could be the next Messiah, couldn't he? For all we know. Yeah, because he it, it, could be the one to literally realise the dream. For all Bruno had a dream. Yeah, it's <laughs> the cult of Nuno is strong, and it's it going to be a problem. It's going to be a really massive problem. It is. And it is. But what I will say as well that you know we're, we're living in a in a short term football world these days. What's I don't see there being that much of a problem with us having say an eighteen month 
like kind of golden spell and having six months of maybe on a bit of a downward spiral, if that means that, you know, there might be a bit of a squad transition happening in terms of new players coming in and some of the old guard moving on. And, you know, we retain our Premier League status at the end of the day. And then somebody else comes in, you know, after 18 months, two years, because this this is the cycle that managers are living on at the moment. You know, Nuno being there for four seasons was actually probably one of the longer term reigns that were in the Premier League. Um, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, I think Sean Dyche might have been probably the one that was longer. Um, but this is the world that we're living in at this moment in time. So, you know, we can't necessarily come in and expect the new manager to then take us to the top of the Premier League. You, you know, that's an unrealistic aim anyway. And most managers will not be capable of doing that, bottom line. So let's see how it, let's see how it goes. Let's enjoy it for what it will be, which is hopefully a much more exciting uh, line. I think there's more to come from the current squad without any additions. I think we can get a hell of a lot more out of this team, um, whilst also needing a couple of uh, fresh faces as well. So... I don't think it's necessarily the crisis situation that we're all thinking it might be, but it does remain to be does remain to be seen. Um, guys, any final thoughts on, on on what the club have been doing over the last couple of weeks? Um, like I said, I think I'm I'm full of respect for them for actually coming out and and, and having those conversations with us. Yeah, they didn't have to. They didn't have to do anything. Because they, they could have, like Jeff said, he, he doesn't he doesn't want to speak to everyone every day. Because what's he going to say? Which is right. It's and he, he did. It was nice as well how he said about how um, how welcoming people are here compared to China, where in China they just say how they, how they think and then they say what they're thinking rather than here. It's like, well, we, we respect you, Jeff, but and then then kind of like bury the lead. Whereas what they've done with this video series. He's very Chinese. In, in my, my thought, they've, they've just come out and said, "This is how it is. You're not. If you don't like it, tough. This is what's happening." Which you got to kind of respect them for. It. They're going to like it, and obviously, I don't like a lot of it. The Wolves world didn't like a lot of it. You think like Christian MJ Wolf? They're saying it's reminding me of Moxie again, and we've already been over that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> but you, they didn't have to do any of this. They could have stayed silent. They could have stayed in, silent until the. Um, Everything's open again, and then put the price up. Still not said anything. Appointed Lager, not not said a word. So I respect him for that. Fine. Um, some of the messages need clarification, like we said already about the ticket prices, need to be actually be saying what they are and not going around the, sub- the subject. And I think we've got a, we've got a lot of clarity, but we had a lot of questions. But it would have been a boring summer without it, wouldn't it? So, yeah. Quietly, I'm more confident now than I was two weeks ago when it was like suicide watch, how terrible things were. And like you said, Gully, we've got there's players in that squad who are so good, they've just been playing handbrake FC for a year. When that when they've been let let loose, we've seen what happens in the past. So if it if it is lager, 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 then great, bring it on. Yeah, I think we've got to get beyond the manager, regardless of whoever it is flipping, unless it's Dane Saunders, we're fucked. <laughs> uh, he's a, he's a lucky like though, isn't he? Yeah, it, we, we've just got to get beyond the club. There is a massive divide at the moment on social media, like we've said, with the, with the cult of Nuno, the older fan base, the younger fan base. We're so divided as a as, as a unit at the moment. Everyone knows when Wolves fans rally together, like that Man City... Uh, I'm game the, the second season, 
second season. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when yeah. when when we're beyond the team, we are literally the the twelfth man, and I've and I've had the piss taken at me a few times. We are the the players definitely miss the the fans at times this season. I don't think it would the fans would have accepted and wouldn't have accepted some of those performances this season. And I just think we need to we need to, we need to uh, bridge the gap because I'm sick of falling out with football fans on Twitter over a, a club that we don't gain anything from apart from enjoyment. And I, I think it's it's worth pointing out again, all of this has happened with the the kind of spectre of covid hanging over everyone you know whether it be the club the fans the players you know football as a, as a whole and any distance we might have felt from the club has to be viewed in that regard you know we haven't been going and sitting in our seats that we can't sit down in um you know every every week it's it's just not been the case so Frustrations probably have boiled over. Um, you know, it might be the case that the club has slightly been out of touch of the way the fans are feeling. Uh, we know that they read and they they follow and they watch and you know they see everything that's going on and all the commentary. So, you know, let's let's take some of these things with a little bit bit of salt and hopefully start again in the new season. And uh, on a much brighter footing under what looks to be um, the stewardship of Bruno Lage. Um, I just, I do just want to say that I think we are um, in pretty good hands with Fosun, um, regardless of some of the the more questionable um, points that they've made over this series. But um, all, all, all comes down to results on the pitch at the end of the day. So, thanks for joining us, guys. Um, lots to talk through, lots to talk about, um, and we'll be continuing to to push out some content over the summer as well, um, whether it be. Some of our highlights from our charity match on Monday, which uh, will be coming to you soon. Um, we call them highlights, uh, more like shite lights, I think uh, you coined the phrase, um, Dan, didn't you? So look out for them and um, please donate still as well if you have the opportunity at our Just Giving link. It's all, over all of our socials um, for the Mind Charity. And um, thanks again for all your support over the season. And uh, we'll speak to you all soon. So bye from me, Stu and Dan. See you later, guys. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.